Uh, no, that's okay. All right, Mark 2.26. Mark 2.26, this will be our, what, number 10? I don't even know anymore. It's been a lot of hours we spent on this one verse. Mark 2.26. Sir Danzler better have all of her notes. This is our number nine, to be exact. On Mark 2.26. All right, and 2015. I'm just going to go through this quickly so that everyone will be on the same page. In 2015, Bart Ehrman wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus. In that book, he re- he tells the story of when he was, I don't know what school, but he was studying the Bible. And uh, he came to Mark 2.26, and this was the verse that led him to decide the Bible was not trustworthy and led him to renounce Christianity and become one of the most well-known, at least in 2015 to the early 2020s, easily one of the most well-known uh, Bible critics, Bible skeptics. And for him, Mark 2.26 was the, was the verse that just d- absolutely destroyed his faith. Now, a lot of times, what occurs is when you tell people that story, of course, the first reaction is, well, he never had faith in any way. It's not that big a deal. We kind of shrug our shoulders and we just kind of ignore it. However, that's not the approach we, we have to take. The, the approach we have to take is deal with the reality of the problems the verse presents. We have to deal with them, we have to struggle with them, and then we have to work through them. Now, in most cases, uh, in fact, on the podcast, I spent three plus hours reviewing sermons, just random sermons, on Mark 2.26. And what we discovered is that in every one of those sermons, they completely ignored the problem. Um, In fact, they went out of their way to keep you from knowing the problem existed, which is really messed up. Because in in, in many cases... Uh, the church, I think, has been guilty of producing sermons versus actually dealing with the text of Scripture. And there is a big difference between preaching a sermon and actually working on the text. So, you know, we do things differently here. So, nine hours later, I think we've been working on the text. Have we not? Do, do we have good answers yet? Well, <laughs> we've tried our best. So, let's remind ourselves of the two problems found in this passage. Mark chapter 2, verse 26. Now, if you remember the story, we'll go back to verse 23. It came to pass that he went through the cornfields, and the he there is referring to whom? That's referring to Jesus, okay. On the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. All right? So they're plucking the ears of corn, now, there's some, we could get into a whole discussion about should that be translated corn there or, sh- or should it be translated wheat, but that's a whole different story right now. We don't want to add to the problems, right? <laughs> We've got enough to work on, okay? So they're going through. What's the main issue here? It's the Sabbath day. All right, very good. That's the main issue. And the Pharisees see this, right? And what do they say unto him? Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? According to the Pharisees, what they're doing is breaking the Sabbath. Now, we can get into a whole discussion. Were they actually breaking the Sabbath or were they actually breaking what? All of the rules that that had been added. And why did they add all of those rules? Why? 
Why? Do you think their motives were right or do you think their motives were wrong? Motives were right. I mean, look, what, sometimes it's easy to criticize the Pharisees, but Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years, right? We have a biblical concept. We have a biblical idea, right? And we're like, okay, we've got to live according to that biblical idea. Now, that biblical idea may not spell out, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. But in our minds, we're like, okay, here's the 15 things you can't do if you're going to obey this verse. And in reality, the verse may not actually say that. But we will, we will support our view by quoting what? That verse. Do you don't think the Pharisees would have supported all of the laws they added by going to the Old Testament saying, keep the Sabbath holy? They would have done the same thing. We, everyone is guilty of that, right? Because we feel like, wait a minute, we've got a, we need like 900 rules to keep us from doing what's wrong or to make sure we do something is right. It's just our way of trying to, the motive may be right, but it typically leads to what? Adding to scripture. Sometimes we're not comfortable <laughs> Sometimes we're like, uh, almost like, God, we'll, we'll help you out because you left some things out. And that, so you can, we understand why they're doing what they're doing. The motive is right, but they're, they're carrying it out in a questionable way. Now, what gets very confusing, very confusing, is what, how Jesus answers. Of all the stories he could pick, why does he pick this story? I, who knows? I don't know if we'll ever have a good answer here. Jesus uh, said unto them, have you never read? So immediately he's going to point them where? To the Old Testament. All right, we're, we're all good with this, right? What David did when he had need, and he was a hungered, and he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and did eat the shoe bread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. What is problem number one? Did David actually violate scripture? Now, why is that a problem? Because basically this creates a situation where it sounds like Jesus is using situational ethics to justify their actions, right? Hey, you can't blame us. David did the same thing. I, I mean, you, you, anyone who's ever had teenagers, you've heard this argument, right? But, but so-and-so did it. But so-and-so did it. You, don't get mad at me. So-and-so. I don't know why so-and-so somehow helps you out, but we think it does, right? Well, in, in some ways it feels like that's what Jesus... Hey, why are you accusing us? Don't you see what G, uh, David did? Are you going to accuse David? Now, we don't believe Jesus is using situational ethics here, right? So that, we, we still got to figure that out. Not only that, we still have to figure out, was David actually breaking the law or was he just breaking some tradition added to it? That's a, a good question. And not only that, the whole story is messed up because David's actions lead to what? A lot of people dying. So we're going to work on that. But the reason we can't work on that is because this verse is viewed. And that's not the reason that Bart Ehrman was like, oh, that's it. Christianity is not true. What led him to decide Christianity is not true is because of the name mentioned there. Not David, the other name. Abiathar, right? In the days of Abiathar, and then the next phrase, the high priest. Why? Why? 
Because this story comes from where? 1 Samuel 21. And when we go to 1 Samuel 21, do we read about Abiathar? No, we read about Ahimelech, who is Abiathar's father, unless you go to other passages of Scripture, which has it reversed, which leads to other textual issues we'll have to work on. Um, And we're like, wait a minute, what's going on? So this is what we do know. Abiathar was not the high priest at the time of this story from everything we can tell. We know that the name should be Ahimelech. The other Gospels don't mention this at all. So immediately we realize we have a problem. Again, the average person just shrugs their shoulder and most preachers, they just read the story and when they reference 1 Samuel, in most cases they won't even go back and actually deal with it. They just mention, they refer to the person in 1 Samuel in their sermon as the high priest but don't give his name which is so deceptive, okay? So we're going, we've been working on it. So let's go through, all right? Sarah Danzler, this is all on you now. Okay, you've got to do this, all right? Here we go. We made a list of all the possible solutions, or we've been working on creating a list of all the possible solutions. And what have we done with all of our solutions so far? We've tested them, right? We've placed each one as kind of as a hypothesis and then tried to test it. That's what you have to do with textual issues. You got to go here. Here's my possible and go through each possibility. And as you eliminate them, then you what do you do? You try to bring the list down to the ones that are most plausible and possible. You continue to test those. And this is a very important thing to remember. Sometimes what do you end up with? You may not end up with a definitive answer, and if you don't know that now, you, you just need to catch on to that really, really, really quick, okay? I know that the pulpit in many churches always tries to present it as, oh, it's simple, it's not a problem, but it's almost like, don't look behind the curtain. And I, my view is, no, pull the curtain back and go, there's a problem. Everyone knows it. Anyone who deals with hermeneutics knows there's issues here, right? So we haven't been afraid of it. So here we go. What are our possible solutions? What's number one, Sarah? Okay. All right. Solution number one, which has been presented in church history, Jesus made the mistake. Didn't know what he was talking about. Got it completely wrong. He confused the names. He didn't know who was high priest. He messed up. Now that creates serious problems. What does that destroy? Number one. Destroys his deity. That would be really bad, right? But, so now listen, now here's, now we haven't done this. How would you argue against this view? And you can't say, well, Jesus is God, that fixes the problem. No, you've got to try to come up with a textual argument to prove this uh, solution wrong. What would you come up with? We kind of mentioned it on Wednesday, but I'm not going to give you the answer now. Let's see who can remember a textual reason why you could say, ah, oh, that one doesn't make any sense. No, no, you can't use his deity. You can't use his deity as an argument. You cannot use his deity as an argument. If Jesus made this big of a mistake, right here, right? He's making a reference to 1 Samuel. He gets the name wrong. He gets the position wrong. The, well, first, you would think the Pharisees would have been like, 
What are you doing? Like, who cares about the Sabbath? You didn't even know who the high priest is. You got the name wrong. Don't tell me, have I read? Like, if I was to look at him, I'd go, have you not read? And then I completely misquote the verse. With Emma's attitude, she'd be like, well, obviously you can't read. Right? Do the Pharisees do that? All right, so that's it. That's already something's interesting going on. Number two, if Jesus was to make that big of a mistake, what, when you look at the rest of the Gospels, you think they would be riddled with mistakes. And do we see other places where it's riddled with mistakes? So this would mean that this would be, we could put this in the category of unlikely. Without mentioning the deity. See, mentioning the deity requires a whole different type of argumentation. Does that make sense? In other words, the Pharisees would have been like, I mean, what, do they even say anything? Right? So, you, and not only that, you think that from this point on, that would just be like, don't trust him, he doesn't know the Old Testament. Don't trust him, he doesn't know the Old Testament. Right? They're always trying to catch him. So, I'm going to argue this is highly unlikely, because in every other situation, when Jesus makes a reference to the Old Testament, it seems the people are somewhat amazed by how well he knows and how he handles it. So I just want to make sure, we haven't really spent a lot of time trying to take that one apart, but I want to make sure everyone understands that, okay? All right, what was the second solution? Mark made a mistake, all right? Now, what would be the problem with Mark making a mistake? This would destroy inspiration because Mark, well, just remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In some of those cases, we don't know for sure who the actual author was. But if we say Mark is the actual author and he made a mistake, this would destroy inspiration because Mark would have been the one writing under inspiration. Does that make sense? All right, so that would be a major problem, okay? All right, next. Okay. Now, this one is very important. All right, do you have all the scriptures for, uh, to support this view? Okay, good. All right, here we go. This is very important. What we were able to determine is this. We can dogmatically say Abiathar was most likely a priest at the time of the event in 1 Samuel 21. And we base that off 1 Samuel 23, 9. Right? And, we, and then another scripture we used was... 1 Samuel 22.11. Right, okay, right. So we were able to confirm that he was a priest. There's no question there. We may even be able to confirm that very early on he was a high priest because he had the ephod, right? So we were able to demonstrate this. So this is what we can say. If you look at Mark 2.26... We can say this, was Abiathar alive at the time of the event? Yes, so it could have been, it definitely to say in the times of Abiathar would be perfectly acceptable. To say that he was high priest, he wasn't high priest at the time, but he does become high priest and possibly becomes high priest very close to the event. So then it really just becomes in the days, how much do we restrict that or how far do we expand it? All right. So, and why, why do we like that solution? 
It's textual. We based it off putting all those clues together from the text. We went to 1 Samuel like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, we, we know he's alive. Wait, we know he's a priest. Wait, we think he's a high priest quickly. So we, we did pretty good at trying to put that one together. We didn't, what, what wasn't required for this one? We didn't have to go outside of scripture to try to figure it out. All right, so this one was at least better. So we can, this, the third solution is, now just make sure we have this down so everyone can remember this. Abiathar was the priest at the time, a priest at the time. He becomes high priest soon after. We just don't know exactly how soon. So that gives us at least, okay, maybe this is not perfect, but it helps us a little bit. All right, everybody got those three? All right, number four. All right, that all Jesus was doing here was he just refers to Abiathar by the highest title that will be, he will receive at some point in his life. A lot of people like this one. Hey, it's just, he's just being respectful. He's just referring to Abiathar by the highest title that he has. That sounds great, but it still kind of destroys accuracy a little bit. Does that make sense? So, but it, it kind of works. We, we wish... It, we, the, I mean, all we can really do there is just kind of speculate, right? I mean, we don't have anything to prove that. So we just kind of speculate. So I'm not a big fan of that one, but I understand. All right, next. All right, now this is important. There was a problem. What do we refer to this as? Do you remember? Uh, the problem of transmission. The problem of trans... Or, uh, yeah, problem of transmission, yes. Problem of transmission. Now, what do we mean by this? Let's everyone remember this, okay? When we refer to the inspiration of Scripture, and I'm losing all my pencils, when uh, we refer to the inspiration of Scripture, what, are we, what documents are we referring to? The original manuscripts written by the original authors, they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Right? That's a very biblical idea. And what scripture would we use to support that? Oh, come on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Okay, everybody knows that, right? All scripture is God-breathed. Okay, so the original are, is inspired. Now, I know we like to believe. I know we like to believe. That people, someone was just walking a down uh, a dirt path one day, and all of a sudden, ooh, a, a book dropped in front of them, leather bound with a table of contents, right? And it said Bible, and they were like, "This is the Bible." It did not work that way. I wish it did, but it did not. Okay, so the original documents were written. Now, could they just were they written on a computer? No, they were written. And then guess what? If someone else wanted a copy, did they take it to the publisher? No, someone had to do what? Copy it by hand. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat down and tried to copy a book by hand. Maybe you're really good at it. But guess what can happen sometimes? Variance. I like the word variance, right? We refer to this in hermeneutic or in, in, in biblical scholarship as textual variance, right? Now, let's rem- remind ourselves, were lots of copies made? 
Lots and lots and lots of copies were made. Those copies we refer to as what? Manuscripts. Okay? Now, when you compare manuscripts together, right? First, is it great that we have so many copies? Oh, it's really good that we have so many copies. Because a lot of books in history doesn't have that many copies. So it's good that we have lots of copies. However, the more copies, what shows up? Variants. Variants. Now, are, all, are, 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 most, are a lot of these variants serious? No. In fact, some variants are what? Spelling? What else? Word order? Okay. Insert a word, leave a word out. And, some, and so they compare these variants. Now, there's a lot of them. Sometimes people don't realize this. There's more variants than there are actually words in the Bible. There are lots of them. The majority doesn't, ma- doesn't mean anything, doesn't cause any problem. You can figure it out. But there are times that those who look at the manuscripts have to go, oh boy, this is confusing. This manuscript says this. This manuscript doesn't say that. Which one is probably closest to the original? And what are some of the techniques they use to try to determine which one is the correct re- uh, rendering or the correct reading? You can go back to the oldest one. Or you go to the one that is most common. In other words, if you have 50 manuscripts and in 45 you have one reading and five you have a different one, which one are you possibly may go with? The one... The 45. Now, there's lots of speculation here, but it's a problem. Now, so, or, or at least it's an issue that you need to be aware of. And a lot of people have no clue about this. And then when the first time they hear it, they're like, I don't know what to do. Nobody in church ever told me this. And I don't know why every Christian doesn't know that. Bart Ehrman made a killing off telling Christians these things. And then they're like, I didn't know. And no, I don't have any faith. And it's like, well, maybe you should have been learning that in church. Okay, because this should have been talked about in every church. Everyone should know these things. So in this particular case, the argument goes, well, we think that uh, there was a problem introduced in later copies of Mark. And here's the reason they think this. Mark was a source for what? Matthew and Luke. Look this up in any Bible dictionary. Matthew and Luke used Mark as a source. And when you look at Matthew and Luke in the same account, what does not appear? Abiathar does not appear in Jesus and his dealing with this situation. He leaves it completely out. Completely out. Now, if Mark is the source, why wouldn't Matthew and Luke include it? Well, if they were looking at the original and it wasn't there, then that means there was nothing to include. But if it was introduced at a later time, that is possibly how this occurred, all right? Now, not a lot of people like this answer. They get really bothered, but just, you're just going to have to realize this. The originals are the inspired, and then the copies are made. We believe the copies are extremely trustworthy, obviously, right? And as long as the copies are in agreement with the original, then we, would, we can refer to it as inspired. But what do we not have? We don't have the originals, this is, this, this is not some deep secret. Every Christian should know this. All right? So, we think. Now, what are some of the reasons they argue? Well, because it's not in Matthew and Luke. And according to some, there's only few 
some a very few early manuscripts do not have the name of Biathor in it. They believe that these few documents were the most widespread. Now, there's a lot of speculation here, but that's the possible explanation. Some people like this explanation. Some people hate this explanation. All right? Was there anything else about that one that we need to mention, Sarah? I know we're doing all review this morning, but that's okay. Okay? What was the next one? All right, the translation problem. What was the translation problem? Okay, the translation problem. Now, everybody, now let's make sure we understand this. You have the original. You have the copies. At some point, the copies are translated into different languages. Now, guess what happens when you translate something into a different language? Sometimes it can get a little confusing, right? I can say something in English, and if someone tries to translate that over to Spanish, they may not have a word for it, or it may have various meanings. Or if I'm trying to translate from Spanish into English, it may be like, like, a lot of times when people hear someone translate something, they're like, that's not exactly what that means. Like, what, what are they doing? Like, why are they translating it that way? Because there's shades of meaning, right? Well, there's a phrase there in Mark 2, 26, There's a phrase in Mark 2.26. It's a phrase that becomes a major source of discussion. All right, Mark 2.26. How he went into the house of God in the days of. In the days of. Now the question is, what does that necessarily refer to? Right? In other words, do we really restrict the time Or in the days of, is it what? Very broad and could cover a long period of time, which could include Abiathar as a priest and when he becomes high priest and it would still be accurate. Does that make sense? Or do you restrict it going, no, when it says in the days of, it means specifically only the day from the time he became a high priest until the day he died. That's the only thing it can refer to. How, mo- how restrictive should we be? Or how, in a sense, open can we be to the phrase? And we read lots of different discussions about it. Can we be necessarily dogmatic? Well, we see that, that Greek word, because it's a Greek word that is translated to the phrase. Um, it's what? Ep- uh, I can't remember. Uh, epi. Okay, it's epi. Um, we looked at some other scriptures where it's used, and some cases it seems restrictive, and some cases it doesn't seem restrictive. So you can make an argument either way, right? Was there was that it? Is that everything we've done? Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This one is the, okay, we'll just throw this one down, that this, the issue is that the uh, Mark was originally written in Aramaic. And Aramaic didn't have it, and when it came from Aramaic back into the Greek, it was introduced. Now, a couple of problems with this. This is a common, a common argument used um, 
Well, even if you go to Matthew 16, this argument is made. There, there's, lots of, there's lots of arguments made in hermeneutics and in biblical scholarship that the issue is we have to understand these words, how they would have been originally said in Aramaic. The only problem is, what do we not have? We don't have the Aramaic manuscripts. So there's a lot of speculation that it was first written in Aramaic. But if you don't have anything that can show you what it said in Aramaic, you have to speculate. But this one really doesn't help because basically what, what is this argument basically saying? Well, remember the argument that the copyist made a mistake? This is basically just, okay, well, the original was in Aramaic. When you move it from Aramaic to Greek, it wasn't in the Aramaic. It's the same argument. Someone made a mistake copying it. I don't know why you want to introduce the whole Aramaic argument because it really doesn't help. It doesn't really matter. Right? So how many possible solutions is that? A seven? Agreed? All right. Now, just before we try to move on, any questions or difficulties with any of those seven? Or do you need me to repeat any of that? We good? Are you sure? So if I give you a test right now? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't care how you find the answer on this, okay? Call a friend, ask Siri, I don't care. Okay. I just, want, I just want you to ask Sarah, okay? I just want you to know these seven, okay? I want you to know these seven very well, all right? Now, here we go. Oh, boy, this is going to get confusing. All right, everybody ready here? Oh, man, this is going to... I, I was delaying trying to even get to this because this is going to become a problem. All right, here we go. I don't even know what to do with it. I don't want to do this one. And this is all Twyla's fault, okay? Twyla messed this all up. Okay, here we go. Go to 2 Samuel 8.17. Do what? This was you. Okay. But actually, in, in some of the documentation I'm using for this, they mention this problem. But they think it's a solution. <laughs> they think it's a solution. I don't know how it's a solution. No, we're going to refer to this as... Uh, <laughs> how do we how do we refer to this one? Um, we're going to call this we're going to call this the problem of what a word can stand for. <laughs> okay, I guess that's what we're going to call this. All right, the, the, uh, the problem of what a, a word can actually stand for. This one is confusing. All right. But we ha- hey, you need to know it. You need to know it because it's going to introduce you to a whole other world of problems. All right, everybody there in Second Samuel eight seventeen. Does anyone see anything in Second Samuel eight seventeen? Yeah, we run into a weird problem here, do we not? Second Samuel eight seventeen. All right, we have Zadok, the son of Ahiatub. Would you want to be named Ahiatub? Okay, that. All right. Uh, Zadok, maybe Zadok would be cool, but Hayatub, I don't know. All right. And Ahimelech, the son of Abiathor, were the priest. Now, it's, on one hand, 2 Samuel 8, 17 is very helpful because it tells us that Abiathor was what? A priest, so we like that. But there's a major issue here. What's the issue? Abiathor is supposed to be the son. Ahimelech is supposed to be the father. It's reversed here. 
Now, does anyone see that that helps you? Does that, does that fix Mark 2.26 for you? Well, let's see how this supposed... Okay. Oh, wait, there's some other scriptures to look at. So make sure everyone writes down 2 Samuel uh, 8.17. I believe it's 1 Chronicles 18.16. 1 Chronicles 18.16. I'll just, I'll look at it as well. You know, I like, I, I like to make you look and do the reading, but 1 Chronicles. <laughs> oh, man. First, First Chronicles 18.16. And Zadok, the son of Ahiatub, and Abimelech, the son of Abiathar, where the priest, Shafsha was scribe. Right? So now we have Abimelech is the son of Abiathar. Okay? Everybody got that? So far, so good? Now go to 1 Chronicles 24, 6. All right, and look in First Chronicles 24, 6. There's a lot of names here, but just go when you see Zadok, right? Everybody see Zadok, the priest? 24, 6. Yeah, 24, 6. And what do we have again? Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar. All right. So this shows up a couple of times, does it not? All right, do what? Okay, see if you can find it. All right, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Now, remember, I, 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 I try not to do all the work because that's no fun, right? Okay, so here, whoever can find it first, find me a scripture that clearly states that Abiathar is the son of Ahimelech. Go. You can use Bible dictionary if you want. You can use whatever. You can talk to one another. Or you can pay me $50 and I'll tell you. I'm joking, I'm joking. It would actually be 100 but All right, see if you can find it. Who can find it first? No, we're, uh, yeah, we're Abiathar is the son of Ahimelech. Make sure we don't, don't, make sure we don't confuse ourselves. All right, 1 Samuel 23, 6. Everybody look at it and see if you agree if it says that. 1 Samuel 23, 6. Tell me if you agree. Do what? All right. Mary says it says it, so that settles it, right? Is that the way it works? Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Everybody else good? Nobody else wants to commit. First Samuel twenty two twenty says it again. Okay. All right. So. We've got passages that seem to say that Ahimelech is the son of Abiathar, and we've got passages that have Abiathar being the son of Ahimelech, right? That's a little, that's a little, dis, I mean, that can get you all confused and turned around. Like, in fact, if you're not careful, after a while, you'll be saying it the wrong way, correct? Okay, now, here's the thing. Why would this show up in an article trying to give us an answer for the Mark 2.26 problem? 
What do you think they could argue? Where do you think they're going with this? They point all of this out and say, here's your solution. Maybe they're going to argue that obviously there's a history of messing up these names. Now, I don't know if that's a good argument, but let's see what they say. Everybody ready for this? All right, here we go. All right, everybody's still looking. Like, you're going to like, how many different times does this occur? We can make a list of all the times this occurs, right? Hey, when is it? When is it this way? And when is it the other way? All I need you to know right now is clearly it goes, it, it's described two different ways. Can everyone agree with that? Just right now, that we, we may go more in depth, but right now I want you to at least see that. I want you to hear how this is described. A study of Hebrew manuscripts where either Abiathar or Ahimelech is mentioned shows that there is confusion even in Mark's sources as to identify as the identity of both men and variant readings in different books. In other words, here's what happens. Depending on the manuscripts, the Hebrew manuscripts you look at, and reference to 2 Samuel 8, 17, 1 Chronicles 18, 16, and 1 Chronicles 24, 6. Guess what happens? Different manuscripts have different readings when it comes to these two names. So, th- so what is their argument then? That Mark somehow used a source that confused him and then he brought that over, and instead of putting Ahimelech's name, he put Abiathar's name because, he, because his source used the wrong name. Now, what's the problem with this, this uh, solution? Oh, someone said it? Okay, why would this be a problem of inspiration? It's Mark. It would be the original author making the mistake. If it was a copyist, that's one thing. Because the copyist is not copying under the, uh, inspiration. This would be a major problem. So I'm not a fan of this solution in any way, shape, or form. All right? But it, I know what you're asking. So why is these all confused? Well, these are probably all confused because of copying errors. Look, I can't speak for you. But when it comes to names, I will mess up names so quick. I mean, it took me, what, 900 years to figure out Twyla wasn't Lacey and Lacey wasn't Twyla, okay? And I don't even know the rest of the kids' names, and I've known them forever, right? I know he's got, she's got brothers. I don't know who they are. I, I, to this day, if I, when I would come out to the church, if Sterling or Brent, I'm like, is that Sterling? Or is, I don't know who's who. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm horrible with names. So if, if I was the one writing the document, you'd be like, wait, who's that? I, I wasn't there. I'm like, well... I don't know your name anymore. Okay, so so messing up names can happen. Agreed? Okay, maybe I, maybe you're you're all perfect. Okay, so maybe I should have been there doing the copying, but something went wrong. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, and then they go through all the different uh, Hebrew manuscripts, saying this one reads this way, and this one reads this way, and this one reads this way, and it will becomes over. All right. And then you've got the Septuagint, which comes in, and everybody knows what the Septuagint is, right? <laughs> Great copy of the Hebrew. He said Latin, okay? Yeah. You're going back, you went the Latin Vulgate? What are you? He's making a good argument for Catholicism back there. Okay, all right. Now, the Greek translation of the 
Hebrew. Okay, scriptures. All right. Very important. All right. And at, at, now we can get into a whole discussion about the Septuagint, but we won't do that right now. All right. So they go through a list of all the different ones. All right. And basically they say the textual history of 1 Samuel 21 could be contributing to the factor to the presence of the phrase in Mark 2.26. In other words, if you go through the textual history, there's all this back and forth. So guess what? That makes sense that it's going to show up somewhere. Now, you could argue. What would be a good argument, though? Go, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. If this problem was that present, why didn't Matthew and Luke do it? And what's your answer? Because I think, I don't think the problem showed up in the original. I think the problem showed up later. Or Matthew and Luke would have had it, unless Matthew and Luke was using completely different sources. But even that begins to call into question what? Inspiration. So I'm not a big fan of this one. Here's another solution. Are you ready? (laughs) Oh boy. In addition to these difficulties in the source text, Jesus also appears to basically, can I say this, giving a verbal commentary. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he's not necessarily trying to tell the story in an exact way. He's kind of offering a commentary to the story. Therefore, we should not hold him to being precise. I'm not a super fan of this one, but let's at least listen to their argument. All right, here we go. Oh man, we're already at 1051. Okay. Well, at least mention this one and then I got to skip to an email that someone sent me in regards to all of this, and we'll see what their, their suggestion was. All right. In addition to these difficulties in the source text, in the Markian uh, dialogue, Jesus also appears to basically offering a commentary to the passage in terms of his inclusion or inference of details that are not explicit, but may be implicit in the source text itself, such as, look at Mark 2.26, What does it say David did in Mark 2.26? Before he ate the showbread. Okay, yeah, and it says that he entered house of God. Does everybody see that? And that he gave some of his bread to those with him. Do you see that? And Jesus using the story seems to imply that this took place on the Sabbath. Now, it must be granted that some of these details could be said clearly contradicts what happens in 1 Samuel 21. But none of them, all right, not, but none of them would be clear from what is in the text itself. In the first case, for David to have entered the house of God would have not have been unusual, but almost seems to be, why is, this, why is Jesus including this detail and retelling the story? and requiring basically using one's imagination in order to elaborate on this little detail that the source text provides. Go to 1 Samuel 21. Does it say he entered into the house of God? First Samuel. Yeah. Mark 2 says he entered. This 1 Samuel uh, says it. 21. says he came to Ahimelech, 
says he's on business, says he's hungry, and says, give me, right? He doesn't even ask. He says, give me. And what is he asked to be given? 1 Samuel 21, I think it's 1 through 6, right? Five loaves of bread. Present. Ahimelech makes some discussions back and forth. Does it say anything about David entering in? No. Jesus says he entered in. Now, listen, I'm not saying it's a contradiction. I don't like the fact that they use that word. But what they're saying is that Jesus is doing what? Adding details. So that by adding details, they're saying that what Jesus is doing here is really giving a commentary. He's not necessarily directly referencing it. Does that make sense? Right? Yes, no. Okay. Um, some, uh, see, uh, so he elaborates on little details that the, sor- that the source text provides. In the second case, some commentators have made much of Jesus' details about the man with David, presuming that since 1 Samuel 21.1 seems to overemphasize that David was alone. Does 1 Samuel 21.1 uh, emphasize that David was alone? Right, and then when you go to Mark 2, 26, those that are with him. All right, everybody see? You see, why, you see why preachers stay a million miles away from all of this, right? The more we dig, what do we find? More, more issues. More, so this is why everyone just, when they preach it, they're just like, hey, hey, look over here. Look, don't look over there. Don't look over there. You've got to deal with all of this. Okay. Us, there you go. Okay, because he does say you can't have the bread if you've basically been with a woman. And then David basically says, we have. So then there, and it seems to include that there were other people present. But Jesus takes it and just makes it the focal point that there were people with him. So in other words, you see what they're trying to demonstrate. They're trying to demonstrate we should not read this like Jesus is trying to give us a direct quote that he's using the story as a commentary, as a way to deal with the conflict. Right? In other words, if Twyla is asking me some question about something and I make a reference to a biblical story and I'm just kind of using that biblical story to answer her question... Right? I may not be directly quoting the story. Does that make sense? So in other words, what Jesus is doing here is kind of adding a commentary. Now, I don't know if this helps you any, but at least this is what some try to argue. This is, this is the point. And Mark 2.26 is clearer Clearly that David gave the bread to those men later and not that they came into the sanctuary with him. Since David is asked about the ritual purity of men relative to the bread in 1 Samuel 21 and mentions that they were to meet him, it follows that they were not far from the scene. Well, I look at 21.2. What does 1 Samuel 21.2 indicate? All 
All right, so they say 1 Samuel 21.2 is that the men were not necessarily with him. They were waiting for him. However, 1 Samuel 21.2 could also be understood that David's lying. So then do we trust anything he says there, right? I see all the different issues that you have to work through here, all right? So the bottom line is they're saying Jesus is just using it in a very loose way. A very loose way. And if he's going to be, in a sense, kind of loose with the details, then it wouldn't be that far-fetched to throw in a, a... Abiathar is the high priest because he's just being kind of loose with the story. All right, possibly. We still got to figure out why he's using this story. All right, go ahead. Oh, that's a good question. Ah. Uh, right, okay, well, that, that's, that's a different solution. Okay, that's it. But let's do this. Um, Everyone grab the Bible dictionary. We'll just have to end with this. Grab the Bible dictionary really quick. That's a good question. We're not going to get to the email that I got, but okay. Ahimelech. Uh, we've looked at this. Yeah, we've looked up Abiathar. We never got far into Ahimelech. I know, there's not much. Uh, Sarah, you can use the other dictionary if you want. All right. They refer to him as high priest. Do they give a scripture? Yes. 22, Verse 22, 18. Does he, is he referred to as a high priest in 1 Samuel twenty two eighteen? 18? That'd be crazy if you argue that they're the same person. I don't think, there's no way that works. But. Do what? And the king said to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priest. Okay, that doesn't help us. See, why, the, why whenever you see a Bible dictionary, you have to look up the references? You have to look them up because in so many cases, they don't come anywhere close to proving what they claim it does. Okay, first Samuel. We, so they focused, okay. Right, because there's a second person. There's a second person named Ahimelech. Do we have any? Do we have any scripture that clearly refers to Ahimelech as a high priest? That's what we want. Whoever can find it first gets nothing. But I will mention your name on the internet for everyone listening. There you go. I'll make you famous. There you go. Who can find it first? I know the time on the clock. But this is what you have to do. See, now, Emma's over there Googling it because. <laughs> no, I don't care how you find it. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. People are trying to use the internet because we have a bunch of cheaters here at Victory Baptist Church. Okay. Well, we don't add any more. We got enough problems. Okay. We don't, we don't need another name. Okay. Have we stumbled upon something? Have we stumbled upon something? I don't know. According to Emma, now how, mu- how many people trust her? Okay, okay. one person trusts Emma. That's, that's, that's pretty bad. Okay. Your, your percentages are not really good here at this church. Okay. All right. According to Emma, there's 15 references to Ahimelech. Is that true? According to her, that's what she says. And she's claiming that out of those 15... Not one of them mentions Ahimelech as high priest. Now, 
I'm not saying that this 100% proves anything, but it would make sense. We, do, are, let's do this. Do you have a scripture that says Abiathar is high priest? Ah, uh, there you go. Well, we have, no, he has the ephod, but do we have something that specifically refers to him as high priest? Okay, well, let's say, let's say high priest. Okay, so then when Doeg the Edomite fell upon the priest and slew on that day 85 people who did wear a, a linen ephod. Okay, so then that would go against the other argument. <laughs> right. So then, all right. So then, all the argument that he had the ephod, arg- proving that he was the high priest, we were going to get to that as soon, sooner or later. But I, I'm glad you brought that up. So we wh- now, why is this important? We'll have to stop here. Why is this important? Because go back to Mark two twenty six. Let's go back to Mark two twenty six. Remember, I kept telling you that there was an issue here that I felt that everyone overlooks. All seminaries overlook it. Everybody seems to overlook it. Go to Mark 2.26. Everybody ready? We'll, we'll end this way because it'll give you some sense of certainty here, all right? Because this is what drives me crazy and how everyone struggles with this text, all right? Mark 2.26. Everybody ready? All right. Um, how they went into the house of God... In the days of Abiathar, stop right here. Is there any problem with the phrase in the days of Abiathar? No, because this happened when Abiathar was alive. So there is not a problem with that phrase. Right? Everybody agree? All right. Abiathar, the next two words or next uh, three words, the high priest. Is there any problem with saying in the days of Abiathar, the priest? No, no problem with that. So really, the whole problem comes down to the prayer. Everyone focuses on the phrase, in the days of. Everyone focuses on the, the word Abiathar versus Ahimelech. The issue is one word. High. Not, not even priest. Just high. That's really the issue. Now, if we can prove that Ahimelech was high priest... Right? And I'm not saying he wasn't because it seems the dictionaries all say that he was, but what do they not provide us? They don't provide us a scripture that clearly says it. But if we can clearly say that Ahimelech was high priest, then you can say, okay, well, there's an issue. But if we can prove, but we believe Abiathar becomes high priest, so so I think it could be argued that at some point both of them were high priest. So the really issue is just the word high here. And all of these other attempts are not super helpful in most cases. To me, the real issue is, when, does, when did they, when was the day, I, I don't like to use the word reign, when did they serve as high priest? Does that make sense? Do we know the proximity to their time? Now, the reason I mention this is the email I got, they quote from a commentary that makes the claim that Abiathar and Ahimelech were high priest at the same time. If that was true, would that completely eliminate the problem? Yes or no? I know, but I'm saying if it was true, would it completely eliminate the problem? Absolutely. The problem would be over. So, 
if we can prove that. Right now, we're having a hard enough time even proving when or finding something that refers to either of them as high priest. All right. So, if we, in other words, we may not be able to prove it, but we may have a hard time disproving it. All right. So, how many total solutions did we look at today? About nine. Okay. And right now, the, the, you see why we went with, I think, number three, spending all of that time proving that Ahimelech was alive at the time, he was a priest at the time, because that gives us a level of certainty. The only thing we have to try to figure out, or I'm sorry, Abiathar was priest, and he was alive at the time. The only thing we're trying to figure out is who was the high priest at the time. Now, the fact that David goes to Ahimelech could be an argument that he was the high priest, just so that you know. What does Stephen's Bible say? Yeah, 21.1. 21.1. I guess oh, Stephen now has the official Bible. Okay. No. I'm joking. Yeah, 21.1. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Everyone says that 1 Samuel 21.1 refers to him as the high priest. So that's what we'll have to work on next time. All right? So we'll probably wait till next week to work on it. All right? To give us a little break, because this is hard work. (laughs) All right. Let's end. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we are fallible. Your word is infallible. And our struggle with it sometimes can lead to confusion and difficulty. But Lord, let us never be arrogant enough to think we can offer simple answers where there are none or ignore difficulties simply because we don't want to deal with them. There's a skeptical and critical world that's always ready to reject your word. And it's our responsibility to be able to give an answer. We can't give answers. We don't spend the time working through the difficulties. Thank you for a place where we can work through these difficulties, and I pray that we will continue to be dedicated to work this out so that we have some kind of answer that we could offer to anyone who struggles with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...